if you want to. It might be awkward. Happy Easter. If you would, turn uh, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 12. And let's pray. <clears throat> Our gracious God, we thank you and praise you that you are the only source of true hope that we celebrate on a day like today. That because of your great love and mercy, you have not left us in our sins, but you have sent your Son to set us free, to live a life that we ought to have lived to die a death that we deserve, and then to rise again, guaranteeing us the very thing which we need most, life with you forever. Lord, as we talk about the resurrection this morning, I pray that we would see Jesus, that you would lift our eyes above this life, or at least the, the stresses and trials and distractions of this life, to the joy set before us in Jesus, because he is risen. So Lord, would we rejoice this morning? Would we learn what it means to have a risen Savior, not a dead one? For our good, for your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, empty. And your faith is in vain, empty. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have, all, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, 
Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's clear that the one who put all things in subjection under Christ is the exception. When all things are subjected to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Uh, so if you, if you ever hear a pastor or a preacher say something like, we need to go back to the early church. We want to be like the early church, right? The glory days when they had everything together. That pastor probably does not have in mind the church at Corinth, right? Um, in fact, if you were to read this whole letter you would realize, right, they had, they had divisions among them, lots of factions. They couldn't get along. They couldn't do the Lord's Supper right. They couldn't do worship right. And they even had wrong thoughts about the resurrection. Like this church had serious issues. And so Paul in this letter takes all of these issues and begins to address them. Uh, and that's what he's doing here. See, they were probably, uh, at least some of them, were denying the resurrection. All right, or at least what they thought was common to, to Greek thought, because this would have been a Greek-thinking, speaking church. They probably thought, you know, the soul goes on to live forever. But the body, no, that's just material. That's scrap. It's done with, right? We'll go on and we'll do this, but, but there, is, there, is no, there is no hope for a bodily resurrection. And that's not Christian thought. Right? The Bible, the Christian thought is that God has made both the body and the soul. He's made the soul and the body to go together. And so what the Bible teaches us is that they will be raised together. Okay? Um, you will not live as some disembodied spirit for the rest of your life. And that's probably what some of them were thinking, and so Paul addresses that. Because what they were doing is they were denying the resurrection. And here's Paul's point. If you're going to deny that, if you're going to deny that people can be raised from the dead, then you have to deny that Jesus was raised. And if you're going to deny that Jesus was raised, you lose everything. Because the resurrection is so crucial, so core to the Christian message, that if you take it away, you lose the message altogether. Right? Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Just so you can see that this is part, this is kind of core of the Christian message. Paul is laying out what the gospel is, this thing that we preach, this thing that we believe. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. All right, so here's the message. You received it. You claim to stand in it, and as long as you hold fast to it, you are being saved by it. What is the message? Here it is. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, right? Because that's what you do with dead people. When someone dies, you bury them. 
And so Christ did not pass out. Christ did not faint from excruciating pain. Christ was in reality dead, right? They pierced his side. Uh, blood and water flowed out of it. They prepared his body for burial. At any of these points, Jesus could have woken up. He did not. And so our creed and our scriptures go out of the way to point out that Jesus was buried. And that's to say he was dead. He was in actuality dead. He didn't just pass out. Um, he was crucified in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. That there are witnesses who saw him after he was raised. His body didn't just disappear. But that there are actually people that he met with. Okay? Uh, so that's to validate the truth of Paul's message. But there it is. There's the gospel. If you want to be a Christian, right, this morning, that's, that's the message you have to believe. Because the, the, ma- the main message... Hear me carefully. The main message of Christianity is not what would Jesus do. That is not the main message. The main message of Christianity is what did Jesus do. And Paul just told us. He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again. That's the main message. Now that has implications for how you live. That, that, that leads to what would How how then do you live? But the main message, the central message, if you want to be a Christian, is crucified, buried, and arisen again. That's the gospel. That's what Paul is defending. And so Paul is telling them, if you deny the third part, you're gutting the message. You're taking it away, and there is no hope. So Paul goes through this this reasoning with them, right? And what we're going to see as we look through this is that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope of a new life and a glorious future. But Paul begins by, by telling them the consequences of not believing it, right? If you're not going to believe that Jesus rose again, here's what that's going to do, right? If Jesus is still dead, we lose the gospel and the hope that it brings. If Jesus is still dead, we lose the gospel and the hope that it brings. Just look at verse 14, right? If Christ has not been raised... The first thing he says, if Jesus is still dead, our preaching is empty, and your faith is empty, right? Our message, if if Jesus is still dead, our message has no real power. Our message has no real content. And if the preacher's message has no real power or content, your faith that comes from that message also has no power or content. It's empty. There's, There's no... There's no foundation, right? We're wasting our time. If the message is gutted, so is your faith, right? The the scriptures are clear that preaching the gospel is what leads people to faith. Paul talks about this in Romans 10, that uh, if they don't hear, they can't believe, and if you don't preach, they won't hear. So preaching and hearing with faith are crucial to, to salvation. Well, if my message... Is empty. If there is no risen Jesus behind my preaching, then no real faith can come from that preaching. So if Jesus is still dead, my preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Uh, I, often, I often use this illustration to talk about faith, okay? <clears throat> and it's a common illustration. It's not, it's not original to me. But this is what I use when we talk with students, and all of them could probably recite it for you um, right now, right? You take a chair, right? And you put it on the stage, okay? 
Um, and the, the object of faith, right, faith is more than just looking at the chair and saying that it's sturdy, good chair, and could hold me up, right? What do you have to do to exercise faith? You've got to sit in the chair, okay? So here's the other side of that illustration. Faith is only as good as the object you place it in. So if the chair is broken, I'm going to get broken, right? Um, Faith is only as good as the object you place it in. So if there is no resurrection, if Jesus is still dead, then that chair is missing a leg, right? And when you sit in it, you're going to end up on the floor. That's that's what Paul is saying here, that um, without, without the resurrection from the dead, without Jesus coming back to life, your faith has nothing to hold on to. Because Jesus is still in the tomb. All right? Also, if Jesus is still dead, then Christian preachers are liars. We're saying that God did something he did not do. We're, we're claiming that God raised his son Jesus from the dead. And right, we don't want to be in the position of lying about God, of saying that God did something he didn't do. It's not, again, we're not here to give simply good advice. We're here to preach good news. Right? So what we're telling you what we're, and what Christians are saying to one another is like all your eggs go in this basket. This is not a diversified investment strategy like where you get a little bit of Jesus and you get a little bit of Hindu and then you learn some things from secular Western thought and in that way you'll be a well-rounded individual. That's not what we're saying. We're saying like all your eggs go in the Jesus basket. And if you don't put them all there... You're going to lose. Well, if I'm telling you that, but Jesus is still dead, then I'm a liar. And I'm doing something to harm you. And I'm lying about God. And that's not a good thing to do. Right? So if Jesus is still dead, preachers are liars. Um, But probably even more deadly than that. Right? Um, Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, it's aimless, it's worthless, and you are still in your sins. Have you ever thought about this, that if if Jesus doesn't leave the tomb, there is no forgiveness of sins? If Jesus doesn't leave the tomb, there is no no forgiveness of sins, right? We, We put a lot of emphasis on the cross, and rightly so. That's the payment made. But the resurrection is when God accepts the payment. Right? God raises Jesus from the dead to approve of and accept what Jesus did at Calvary. So if Jesus never comes back, if Jesus is still dead, then there is no forgiveness and you are still trapped in your sins. There is no hope without the resurrection. God has to accept the payment. And the resurrection is proof of that. And so that leads to this. If Jesus is still dead, then people who believe in Jesus need your pity. Right? We deserve to be pitied. Because here's what, here's what people who believe in Jesus ought to, ought to do. Right? We ought to be people whose greatest hope is yet to come. We are a people who live first and foremost for the future. And that everything we believe about the future and eternity spills back into the present. Right? So all of our hopes... Unlike those who don't believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus, right, the motto is, and Paul says this later in 1 Corinthians 15, he's quoting Isaiah from the Old Testament, he says, eat, drink, and be 
eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the motto. Or YOLO, right? You only live once. That's the motto of the world. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's it. But if you believe in Jesus, what you're saying is there's more than YOLO, right? I live forever. And if I live forever, that means my best life now is not here but there. And I am doing, I am, in fact, I am saying no to things now because of a yes later on. And in fact, when you say no to things in this world now, what, you will, what will happen to you, and many of you know this, maybe not so much here, but you really see it around the world, is you will embrace scorn and shame and persecution. So, he, so here's the Christian life. <clears throat> because your hope is a risen hope in Jesus, you are saying no to a worldly hope. And when you do that, the world will hate you for it. So you, in a sense, are embracing persecution because of what is to come. You're embracing death now because of a life to come. But if there is no life to come, then I'm a fool. And I need your pity. Because it ends here. And I should just eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow I will die, and that will be the end of the story. So if Jesus is still dead, then people who believe in Jesus need your pity. But because Jesus has been raised, the Christian's hope is that this this temporary life that's mixed with joy and sorrow and laughter and pain and sin and struggle, right? The Christian's hope is that that will one day give way to a new life where there is no mourning, there is no crying, there is no pain, there is no death. Whereas one writer put it, we don't have to say goodbye anymore. That's the Christian's hope. And the reason the Christian can hope that is because Jesus got out of the tomb and he lives even still. If Jesus is still dead, we have no hope. But because Jesus lives... We have hope. We have good news. We have a gospel. And that's the point Paul goes on to make, right? Um, Because Christ lives, death becomes gain. And not only that, but all will be made right. Do you know that? That Jesus' resurrection actually is what God will use to set everything in the world that has gone wrong. He will use that to set it right. Everything that we have undone and spiraled out of control, he will reign in and make right. That's the hope of the resurrection. See, we're used to looking at it from our perspective. What's it do for me? And that's okay. But the resurrection is also good news to God because it means that his creation and his kingdom are restored to their proper order. Let's see that here, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. Okay, so Paul is drawing this parallel between Jesus and Adam. He does this a lot, right? And what Adam brought, right, back 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 in Genesis 2, God said... 
If you eat of the fruit of the tree, don't do it. If you do it, you will surely die. Well, he did it, right? And plunged all of creation into death. And, and we don't just mean physical death. I mean every ache and pain you feel. I mean the horrible things that have been done to you that haunt you still, right? Sickness, death, right? Bad memory, all of that. Your, your main issue, your main sin, or all of, all of your sin issues flow from that one. That you have been born, in a sense, in death. That Adam introduced death into God's created order. And because he did, we now all die like Adam did. And so what God does is he sends one who can undo Adam's death. Right? Because Adam brought death, Jesus brings life. And so Jesus, because Jesus lives, we have life instead of of death. And not only that, but because Jesus lives, all who belong to him will live. Look at verse 23. Well, let me back up just a half verse of 22. Also in Christ shall all be made alive, 23, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, okay, if you're a farmer, you're familiar with this, right? The first fruits is the first bit of the crop out of the ground. And that's, what, and that's what in the Old Testament they took and offered to God. So the first sheaves of grain that broke the soil, they're given as an offering. But that also tells you something else. There's more grain to follow. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first one. In a, he's, he really is the first one out of the ground. And everyone who belongs to him, follow him out of the ground. We will be raised to life because Jesus did it first. We will have life because Jesus did it first. But that's not all. Because Jesus lives, all will be set right, right? Verse 24, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. All right, so this is the part that's good news to God. That what Jesus is doing now is... Abolishing, nullifying, bringing to nothing all of these rival powers, all of these enemies of God and us that entrap us, that tempt us, that snare us, that kill us, okay? Um, that is not part of God's design. That is not part of God's order, and he wants them gone, and his son is in the process of reigning until all of those enemies are brought to nothing. Their power is taken away. They're nullified. And what's the last one to go? Death. Death. Jesus will reign until he brings to nothing death itself. Right? Two certainties in life. Death and taxes. Your taxes are due soon. <clears throat> right? For the Christian, that second certainty... Well, you won't have to pay taxes forever either. Um, that second certainty is now reversed. For the Christian, there is not the certainty of death, but of life. Because Jesus will bring death to an end. Right? Jesus will bring death to death. And then he will hand the kingdom over to his father. Once all their enemies have been subjected, have been put under the king's feet... 
He will hand the kingdom over to his father. Now, this is really odd. This is really weird for us. We don't think about this much because this, well, this is a picture kind of inside the Trinity, okay? And so what I'm about to say is probably, well, it's not probably, it is very confusing and complex, but we need to kind of tease it out a little bit, right? What does it mean that the son is going to hand the kingdom back to his father? If, if the if the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all the same being, then why, why is there this distinction? Okay, uh, And all I can say is that what the, the picture the Bible gives us, and every analogy you use to, to discuss the Trinity fails at some point. Okay, um, But they are the same being. They are one God, he, or He is one God, and He exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay, The Father... I haven't lost you yet, have I? The Father, out of his love and mercy for a lost world, sends the Son. The Son, unlike Adam, submits to his Father's will and joyfully obeys. Right? He lives a righteous life, he dies a sinner's death, and he submits himself to the, to the, to the shameful death of a cross. So, the Father sends the Son, the Son... The Son obeys, and the Son is the one who does the redeeming work, right? The Father accepts the Son by raising him from the dead and then gives him authority as king. You can read this in Matthew 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's, that's Jesus saying, I am now the king, and I've got everything I need to put everybody else down. I've gotten the authority. Let's go to work, okay? Okay. Um, until when Jesus finishes that work, then he will hand the kingdom back to the Father so that God, Father, Son, and Spirit may be glorified, right? May be recognized as the supreme ruler of the universe, okay? That is a little Trinitarian sketch. If I lost you, Jake will answer questions afterwards, okay? So, the point is, the Father in his love sends the Son, and the Son goes to work. And the Son is working now. His work of redemption, right, his work on the cross, that part is finished. And now he's in the process of putting all of the enemies of God in subjection under his feet, right? That's spiritual enemies and even physical enemies. The question is, how does God do that? How does God conquer his enemies? Well, currently he conquers them through the gospel. That people who are rebellious and hostile to God believe the gospel and are saved. Right? They come out of their rebellion and into new life. But there's coming a day when the gospel of peace, right, when that, when that period will be over, and then Jesus and the saints will come with the sword, and, that, and on that day, death, right, it says death and Hades will be thrown into the second death. They will be thrown into the fire. All right? On that day, when the last enemy, death, is defeated, God will receive the kingdom, and he will be glorified as ruler over all. So, because Jesus lives, all will be made right. Not just from our view, but from God's view as well. Right? Because if, if you think that your life and the lives around you look messed up, imagine what it looks like from the perspective of the one who made it and the one who rules. God wants death to die more than you do. Why do you think, why do you think Jesus wept? 
at his friend Lazarus's tomb. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Why do you think he cried? Because Jesus hates death, and he wants to see it gone. And because he lives and reigns now, it will be gone. It will be put down. You guys know that, uh, that I'm a nerd, <clears throat> all right? In J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, works, the, the Lord of the Rings, okay, um, I just lost like three-quarters of you, but <laughs> Gandalf the wizard falls in battle, okay? Um, he falls in battle, and, he, and his friends think that he's dead, right? And so they lose hope. Uh, his friend Sam thinks that he's gone forever. And not long after that, Sam has to go on a different mission. And so he doesn't see it when Gandalf comes back as a more powerful wizard. Sam misses that, right? Uh, but at the very end of the very last book, The Return of the King, Sam sees Gandalf again. And here's what he says. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music. Or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter. The pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Because Jesus lives, sad things are coming untrue. And one day we will laugh. We will hear laughter. The pure sound of merriment for days upon days without end. That's the hope of the resurrection. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you that death does not have the last word, but that the shadow has departed. And that for those who are in Jesus, we will know a day of great laughter and merriment. Father, I pray that we would long for that day. And if there are those here who are uncertain that they will see that day, pray that they would today believe in Jesus, believe in him who was crucified, dead, and buried, and has risen again. Lord, draw us to yourself, that we may be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite Matthew Brock up to lead us in the Apostles' Creed.